0: Can you hear me? Am I through? Good. Excellent. So welcome. Good. Welcome, guys. Cool. So, yep, so I'm preaching this morning, and um, I'm actually quite, I'm I'm kind of nervous and also quite excited. This is actually quite an important sermon for me to preach, And and I've given it quite an unusual name. I called it, you put the slide up, the first slide. We call it the Curse of the binars, which makes no sense to you right now, but it will do in due course. Let me start in prayer. Lord Jesus, we give you the praise and glory. Lord, will you speak to all of us? Speak to me, speak to all those in the congregation this morning. God, we're so grateful for all the stuff you've done. We're grateful for what you've done with the youth at New Day. And God, we just pray that today will be an extension of what you're doing in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, if you can turn to the Gospel of John um, chapter 8 and we'll start from verse 2. And if you don't have your Bible, you can read from the screen, which is what we're going to do right now. Early in the morning, he, Jesus, came to, again to the temple. The people came to him and sat down, and and he began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground when they kept on questioning him he straightened up and said to them let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her once again he bent down and wrote on the ground when they heard it they went away one by one beginning with the elders and the woman was left alone and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, but from now on, do not sin again. Okay. A really famous passage. A wonderful story in the gospel of Jesus defending the woman caught in adultery and sort of sticking it to the Pharisees. The troublesome. Pharisees, go to the next slide of the Pharisees, please. Yeah, see the Pharisees, a lovely Pharisee, one of our famous villains, because they're so mean and they're so cruel and they're always against Jesus. And I mean, I mean we tend to think of Pharisees. You always think of someone. These people are so ethereally kind of evil and so different from anything that's good. But well, actually, the more I think of this story and similar stories, the more I think of the Pharisees, I've sort of come to the conclusion that actually they're not, they're not really that bad. Not really. And I say this because even though the Pharisees have done terrible things, in reality, the way they behave is not that different from the way lots of people behave. There's a similarity in the way they behave from in the way that lots of people behave. Is a human problem, and I've decided to call this human problem The Curse of the Binars. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, let me introduce you to the Binars. Okay, these are the Binars. Um, they're aliens, okay? They're aliens. They're, they appear in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation in the late 80s. Now, anyone who knows me knows every time I do theology, I always end up in space. At some point, I'm going to end up in space, and today is no different. So, the binars, they're called the binars because they think in binary terms, okay? They're thinking ones and zeros. They think as every decision is 100% this way or 100% that way. It's never in the middle. That's just how they work. Everything's binary with them. Anyway, they meet the crew of the Enterprise, and um, basically, they try to take over the ship to try and take over the Enterprise. And they almost get away with it until Captain Jean-Luc Picard and his crew fold their plans and saves the day. Anyway, they capture these two guys, and they say to them, why on earth do you try and take over our ship? And they say to them, but the thing is, our species are in trouble. They're in danger, and we need your ship to save us. So Captain Jean-Luc Picard goes, okay, why, why didn't you not simply ask for help? We would have helped you. I mean we are just, you know, we are Star Trek, we are the you know, we are we the good guys, you always help. And they say, well the thing is we didn't know you were going to say yes. You might have said no. And because we bin ours and we only do ones and zeros, we only do yes and no's, we don't really cope with not sure or don't know's or maybes. So what we did was we just assumed the worst. We assumed you was gonna say no. We mark you as a zero, we mark you as an enemy, and then act accordingly. Because that's what binars do. That's how people with a binary mindset behave. Okay? They just assume the worst. Now, one of my, fa- my favorite Christian thinkers is a, it's a, it's a Catholic friar called Richard Warren, and he sends out like, these sort of almost daily blogs, um, which I su- subscribe to. And um, months ago, he sent one out, um, where he, t- he, he kind of describes people are using a metaphor of a computer. And he says that, as computers, we like a, we like a computer which has a built-in operating system. An operating system is like an egotistical, binary operating system. That's how we think. And it's not all bad. It's not all bad. It's some useful things to it. So, for example, it, it's useful for, to differentiate from, I don't know, good things and bad things, um, Um, large things and small things. Um, It's good to identify people. It's good to identify ourselves. We can describe ourselves. I can say, for example, I'm a a dashing young black guy who works in a humanitarian agency and goes to church. That's a brilliant way of identifying myself. Bias, perhaps, but we can do that. And it's useful. However, there are some downsides. The downside is that you also get the kind of me-versus-you mindset, or the them-versus-us mindset, or us-against-the-world mindset. It's the, the mindset that fuels the polarization that we see in society. And we see it everywhere. You know, we see it in politics. You know, in American politics, you've got the Republicans and the Democrats, and they're constantly throwing stones at each other. In our country, we're absolutely being battered with this polarized mindset. We're Brexit, we've got the Remainers and the Leavers, and they're fighting, it's aggressive, it's quite toxic, it's quite ugly. There's whole families fighting over this stuff. In the workplace, we see it. We see it in the workplace. We see it on social media. Oh my goodness, don't get me started with that. On social media, someone puts a thought out, and in three comments, it goes horribly wrong, doesn't it? It gets nasty. People say horrible things. And so it's, it's a world problem. If you get to the next slide. It's a world problem. It's not just a, it's not just a problem with, for, for some people. It's a problem that affects everybody. Which means it also includes people of faith. We are, we are villains of this. We are victims of this mindset as well. So going back to the Pharisees. Okay, the reasons the Pharisees were like the way they are is because they're also like binars. They have a binary mindset. To go around judging people as ones and zeros. If you're one, you're good. If you're zero, they throw you under a bus. This poor lady was a zero. That was her problem. She was a zero, and so they're going to throw her under a bus. Or actually, they're not going to throw her under a bus. they didn't have buses in those days. So they're going to stone her to death. Because that's what you do. That's the world view. That's the mindset. That's how you behave. Okay. And if, you, and if you come across someone who you're not sure are one or zero, then what do you do? Well, you just assume the worst. Because the last thing you want to do is mark them as a one just to later find out they are actually a zero. So you just assume the worst, and you mark them as a zero or the same. And another thing about the binary mindset, which you also see in the Pharisees, is that the binary mindset has a very skewed view of justice. Now going back to the story, the Pharisees come to Jesus with this woman and say, you know what, the law says you have to stone this woman, which is partially true. It's, all, it's, it's half true, because the law does say that. But the law also says you have to stone a man as well. So my question is, is where's the guy? Where's do that? Where's he hiding? What's happening to the guy? Now I can see the woman but I can't see the guy. You see what's going on here? Their the, the, the judgment is not, it's not impartial. Their judgment is not unbiased. They have a skewed. kind of think of the scales of justice. It's like it's, it's twisted. It's kind of lopsided. It's not quite, it's not quite perfect. It's it's, it's cloudy. It's fuzzy. Have a very skewed view of justice. But basically, think works out. Like I'm saying it's, it's not good, folks. You know, just just, just in case, just be, let me be abundantly clear. This, this sort of binary egotistical mindset is flawed and can be quite toxic. And you know what the scariest thing is? The scariest thing is not that that the Pharisees are like that. The scariest thing is actually in the church we can be like that too. That's what scares me. That's why I'm preaching it today. If I felt the church was immune to this I wouldn't waste my time preaching this sermon. I'm preaching it because this can infect us too. We can behave the same way. In fact, to be honest we do behave the same way. You know There are Christian websites, and there's two that pop to mind. They're very popular, highly subscribed to. Pretty much every article is, is polarizing someone. Every article. I went for one particular one. I went down to the, the, the more recent 10. I got bored after that. So I went to the most recent 10, and every article was basically polarizing someone else. It's like, wow, everything they had to say, they couldn't do it without polarizing someone. So we're all victims of this, and we, need to, and we need to change, we need to move on. So what's the answer? Good, to moved to that stage, good. So Richard War, he says, the answer to having this operating system is that we need to upgrade our operating system. We need to upgrade our thinking. Time for a new model. And, and to help us with that is Jesus. So what I want to suggest are some lessons to learn that will help us to upgrade our thinking. Okay? Now, the first goes back to what Jesus did in his story. In essence, Jesus does two things. Um, He first, he kind of writes something on the ground, and then he says something. Now, writing on the ground, I'm going to park. Okay, leave it on that slide. I'm going to park it to one side. And I want to focus on what he says. What Jesus says is, the person who has no sin, you are allowed to throw the first stone. In other words, what Jesus is basically saying is, you know what? All you guys are sinners. All of you are in the same boat. All of you are in the same fix. All of you are in the same situation. Okay? Now, how does that make sense? Okay, let me explain this in really simple terms. Um, in the world... Actually, let me think bigger than this. Um, in the universe... Let me think even bigger. In the cosmos, basically there is a binary. There are two boxes. Think of that as box A and box B. And all beings, whether they're divine beings or non-divine beings, belong to either of those two boxes. There's not a third box. There's not a fourth box. There's just two boxes. A and B. Now, in the first box belongs God. As in, you know, God, as in, you know, well, the God. In box B belongs everyone else. Okay, let, let me explain it again because it's a bit complicated and I don't want you guys getting confused. There are two boxes. All people, all beings, even if they're not people, all divine beings, all, all of them belong to one of these two. There is no exception. A or B. In box A, God. In box B, not God. So, when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, basically what he's saying is, okay, you guys, you, look at this, you go through life, and you look at people, and you judge them as ones and zeros. This person's a one, this person's a zero. But for me, I look at people in this world, I just see a bunch of bees. I just see a bunch of bees. I see you as a bee, I see you as a bee, I see this lady over here as a bee. Yes, this bee has a problem, and so do you. You have different problems, but either way, you're all bees. And it might sound really simple, but it's actually quite an easy thing to forget. I forget. In fact, just the other week, I totally forgot. I became, and I behaved like a total binar the other week, a full-fat, full-blown, first-class binar. Well, that's how I behaved the other week. I went on a little trip, um, I met some friends, we discussed an individual, Um, I came back a little bit frustrated with the individual and I was talking to my wife and I I used a rather naughty word to describe the individual. I know. I nailed in the church using a naughty word to describe someone. Who would have thought? um, Do you want to know what I said? You do! (laughs) It's a Sunday. I can't possibly say it. But what I do. Um, who can remember the, the, the British sitcom Hello, Hello? Who can remember the the, the, the French policeman? Yeah. Well basically I called a guy Ducket and um and, and Rachel was so shocked she was like how can you say that? And I was like wait, but the guy behaved in a way that makes me think that. And she goes, but Richard you're someone who always preaches about grace. And I'm like, yeah, what's your point? And she said, but the point is, my point is, grace doesn't just go towards people that you like. Grace goes towards people that you don't like. And you should know better. And she was absolutely right. I got chastised by my wife. And rightly so. Because, yes, I might have felt that he was a duckhead, but he was a bee. And I am a bee. Why? Because we're all bees. Every single one of us. There are 7.7 billion bees across the face of the earth. And there's not a single A or C among them. Just bees. And it doesn't matter if you're a gritty two-shoes. It doesn't matter if you're a total plonker. It doesn't matter if you're a, 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 a toe wag or both a toe wag or a plonker. You're still B. I like the Skittles analogy. You know what my favorite Skittles are? It's it's a bit of a confession, Tom. I like like the pride Skittles. They're all white, aren't they? Each one has a different flavor, but when you pour it in your hand, you have no idea. All you see is white Skittles. Well, that's how God sees us. He just sees us as bees. We're a whole bunch of bees. You know, we all have our problems. Some are perhaps more substantial than others, granted. But we're all bees. And we need to learn that lesson. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, I'm going to have to turn to the epistle of 1 John. And I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'll make my point. So starting out, so 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God, and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved, in this love, in this is, in this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's jump to verse 16. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. Again, God is love. Those who abide in love, abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have bonus on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he loved us first. Those who say I love God but hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love their brothers and sisters, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. So what is John saying here? John is saying here is is if you hate your brother or you hate your sister, if you polarize, if you make people frightened of you because you're afraid you're going to punish them or harm them in some way, then you don't love. You don't love them. In fact, you don't, you don't understand what love is. And because God is love, frankly, I don't think you understand what God is. You don't get it. Why? Because God is not a binar. Next slide, please. God is not a binary. It's not like that. See, the Pharisees, one of the reasons the Pharisees behaved like total jerks in that story is because ultimately they think God's a jerk too. They wouldn't say that, of course. But basically, they think God thinks the same way. Okay? They think God behaves the same way. They feel justified in their behavior because ultimately they're behaving like God. But what if they're wrong? I think the Bible is saying they are wrong. What if God is not a binary? Once you begin to understand that, then it's easier to change your behavior. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I, my spidey sense are tingling right now. I can sense you're thinking this. Hold on. If God is not a binary, surely, hold on, doesn't not Jesus use binary language in the gospel? I mean, what about, I, I don't know, uh, the sheeps and the goats? That's pretty binary. You know, that's a pretty binary story. Um, and, and to be honest, there are several stories like that. I'm the first to admit it. There are lots of binary stories in the, in the Gospels, for example. My response to that is two things. Jesus uses binary illustrations when speaking to binary people. When speaking to people who, have, who uphold a very strong binary way of looking at things, Jesus speaks to them in, in likewise language. However, he also subverts that language. So going back to the, the, the illustration of the sheep and the goats, which is one of my favorite illustrations... Um, Who are are the ones and the zeros? Well, the sheep are the ones and the goats are the zeros, right? Well, how do you become a goat? How do you become a zero? Well, you don't feed the hungry. You don't visit the person in prison. You don't clothe the naked. You treat the ones nicely and you disregard, you, you neglect the zeros. You uphold this binary, egotistical mindset. And by doing so, you become a goat and you become a zero. But the sheep, the sheep are the ones, but what do they do? Well, they feed the hungry. They clothe the naked. They visit the person in prison. In fact, Jesus says you treat those people in the same way you would treat me. There's no differentiation in how they treat people. There's no binary thinking in how they treat people. Completely, they completely just put aside this whole mindset of being binary, of being dualistic. And because of that, Jesus says, Well, there are a one. See so what Jesus has done there? He's completely flipped on his head this whole mindset. Yeah? Very clever. Jesus is not just a pretty face. He's very smart. He's a very wise God. And he's making a very important point that ultimately God is not a biner. That's lesson number two. Which takes us nicely onto lesson number three. Which is, if God is not a binar, then what is he? It's all really good saying what God is not. But what is the alternative to being a binar? Now, back to my friend Richard Rohr. He uses a term to describe Jesus. He says what Jesus does, he calls it descent, as in to go downwards. So next slide, please. It's a picture of a guy walking down a mountain. And he references Philippians 2, which is a famous passage where he talks about Jesus coming from his highly place, coming from his throne, humbling himself, taking on human flesh, Humbled himself to the point of death. He descends. He takes the lower ground, and that's quite important because when you're binary, when you binary, when you have a binary mindset, you always normally take the highest, the higher point. You get on your high horse. You get on your lofty throne. You climb into your ivory tower, and you speak speak down to people. But Jesus, he took the lower ground. He descended. He outpoured, he sacrificed, he gave. In First John, which you just read, it says we know that God is love. Why? Because he gave his son. He relinquishes, he outpours, he self-empties, he takes the lower ground. Now this is kind of challenging because basically what the, you know, what the implication is is that if we want to be like Christ, we have to start doing the same thing, which can be quite scary because it's not, it's not, it's not natural for us. However, it's not not completely alien to us. If you're a parent or a carer, then actually you do this stuff all the time. Parents are always descending (laughs) for their children. They're always sacrificing for their children. Even when they drive you nuts, even when they drive you up the wall, even when they behave like total pains in the backside, They, they might make you cross, but you never treat them as a zero. You never treat them as a zero. And you always sacrifice. You just dust yourself off and sacrifice for them all over again. Don't you not? And if you're a carer and you care for them, they might not give you the appreciation you probably deserve. But it doesn't stop you caring for them. You always descend. And my point is, God does that for us every single day. For every single one of us. That's his disposition. That's the way he operates. That's the way God is. When Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't like God was trying something new. He wasn't experimenting with this whole descent thing. Ooh, this is new. Let me try something out here. No, when Jesus went to the cross, that exposed the heart of God. That, that kind of gives the game gave the game away. That kind of ex- sort of spilt the beans, so to speak. Of this, this is, this is how God is like, guys. This is what He does. That's, this is His thing. You no, know, everyone has a thing. This is God's thing. He descends. He takes the lower ground. And as Christians who claim to be Christ, like, that's our challenge. It's not an easy one. It's one that we can often forget like I forget. But that's the ask. That's the expectation. That's the benchmark. That's what it means to be like Christ. That's what God is hoping for. To change the world. That's the interesting thing. It does change the world. Because Jesus didn't act like a binal with this woman. But yet he transformed her life. The end of that story is that she walks away free. Okay? So you don't have to be a binar to change a person's life. You need to learn to descend. Final thought. Back to the story for the very last time. I mentioned about Jesus writing on the ground, writing on the dust. Now, scholars have no idea what Jesus wrote down. Do we have no idea? We don't, we don't know what he wrote down. The Bible doesn't say. He just says he wrote something down. However, we can speculate. Okay? So there's lots of speculation. However, I read one speculation this week, which kind of really stuck with me. And it was from a Jewish scholar. And he says, perhaps when Jesus wrote to the ground, it was like a prophetic act, almost referencing a portion of Jeremiah. And that caught my eye, that caught caught me because Jeremiah is basically one of the main prophets that Jesus seems to associate himself with. He quotes from Jeremiah the most, I believe. Um, And there's lots about his ministry that overlaps Jeremiah's ministry. So I okay, this is interesting. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, this is what it says. O hope of Israel, O Lord, all who forsake you, you all, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the dust, for they have forsaken the fountain of the living water, the Lord. In other words, it's possible that what Jesus was doing. It was like a, it's like a damning indictment of the Pharisees in, in a sort of physical way. It's like he's, like he's, he's making a statement to them saying, you know what, you say you love God, you say you know God, but reality, you don't get God, you don't get love, you don't get what God is doing, you just don't get it. And he's almost exasperated. He doesn't even really speak to them, really. He barely speaks to them. They come to him. The first thing he does, he writes to the ground. Because they kept going on and on and on and on and on and on, and on about this woman, he, he finally gets up and says, fine, the person who has no sin, you can throw the stone. And he goes back down and, and continues writing on the ground. Because he's tired. Because they, they can't learn. They just can't get it. And he's frustrated and he's disappointed because they can't get it. My prayer, and this just me being serious now, is that that doesn't become us. That God looks at us exasperated and thinks, oh man, these guys, they just can't get it. I wish they could, but they just don't seem to get it. The penny never drops. My prayer is that actually the penny will drop. That we will upgrade our operating system that we will upgrade our thinking. That we recognize that actually Jesus is different than the kind of default way of thinking about things. That Jesus challenges us to be different. That Jesus challenges us to grow up, to mature, to learn, to challenge each other in a way that my wife challenged me. To say, no, you need to do better. Let's do better next time. Okay? Because as I said, we're not that different from a Pharisee, really. Yes, our theology is completely different, but the game's the same. Our behavior is often the same. Unless we get this, then we'll be different. Then we'll really be different. Let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for you, because you're love. You, you are the, the the true personification of what love is. And we, we often forget it. And we often fail to grasp it. But God, will you help us to grow up? Help us to understand who you are, what it truly means to love. Help us to learn to climb down from our ivory towers, to get off our high horses, and learn to descend in a way that you do every single day for us. God, change us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.